2: Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I'm cursed with knowing too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always via Zoom video chat, someone who really interprets it as a curse, her connection to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's the skeptic herself, Kristen Stuttered. Hey, Kristen. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm like, it's funny that you called it a curse, that you like sought out all of this A curse that I like
2: and love. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm just cursed with all this information that I really seek out and love having. Meanwhile, I truly have been cursed, but blessed as well by this show.
2: Oh, that's, a, that's an oddly sweet moment up top. I
1: mean, I like getting to see, I like getting to see you every week, and I like talking about music. I like our fans. I don't care about the (laughs) rockfall still.
2: (laughs) It's a bit of a monkey spa (laughs) situation. Well, I'm very excited to have our guests with us here. Today, we have a return guest. You might know him as the frequent special advisor to the Rock Hall induction ceremonies, sometimes referred to as a show consultant. This year, referred to as a talent executive in the credits. He's, he's also a member of the nominating committee. It's Rick Krim. Hey, Rick. Thanks for coming back.
3: Glad to be back. And thanks for noticing my rise through the ranks.
1: So nope. talent executive? Wait, what was it? Talent consultant?
2: Talent executive okay. this year. Thank Joel Gallon for that title.
4: He gave that. He annoyed me with the title. The truth is, I, I didn't know. Nobody told me about a different title that he'd want. So, you know.
2: well, wait, wait a second. Who's that talking? That's right. It's the uh, producer and director of this year's induction ceremony. Uh, has in, has directed and produced many induction ceremonies. Uh, nearly all of them up until 2014. He made his triumphant return for the 2020. It's
4: Joel Gallon. Hey, Joel. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I jumped the gun before my introduction. <laughs> People, I just don't want our All listeners right. to be confused.
2: Who, who is that right. voice? We're, we're very excited to have you both here. It feels like with our podcast, we have been covering the 2020 ceremony because of the delays uh, for an eternity. And I, it, feels, it just feels like so long since when the nominees were announced. And then we've really stretched it out. But I think we're finally coming to a close here on this uh, induction process and I can't think of a better way to do it than the people who made the induction. So I want to start with, you know, our audience knows Rick, but Joel, you're new to the show. So I'm curious if you can even remember, because it's been a long time, how you first got involved with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
4: It was back in 1993. Um, I was... uh, Actually, leaving MTV, I had been at MTV for about 40 years, and a lot of the MTV people that I worked with were on the board, Tom Freston and Judy McGrath, to name two. And they um, said they were looking for a new producer, because up to that time, the Hall of Fame was sort of produced very down and dirty. Well, it still was even after I took it over for many years, but we elevated it a little bit. But it was very sort of produced by a, sort of a tour a production, a tour production manager, not really a TV person. And they really did it just for archival purposes and they wanted to try to elevate it now and get it ready for TV. So they brought me in to meet with Jan Wenner and I think Seymour Stein might've been there and a a handful of others along with Tom Preston and Judy McGrath and asked my thoughts on it. And the first show that uh, I was being interviewed for was the first show ever that was gonna be in Los Angeles, which is where I had just moved to. So it made a little sense. 1993 ceremony was in Los Angeles, and um, yeah, so that's basically it. You know, I, I talked, I said whatever I said, and somehow they they liked what I had to say, and uh, and they asked me to do it, and I ended up doing I think five shows in a row from '93 to '97, 97. and '97 97 show, as I recall, was about uh, came in a little bit over budget. Say so in, in a show that had to be very tightly budgeted and that may have played a part in why I didn't get asked back in 1998 Mm -hmm. or 99 or 2000 or 2001 or 2002 and then I got a call from Jan Wenner in 2003 saying I don't know why you haven't been doing the show but we'd like you to come back and uh, that's when I, I started a I guess 12 year run from 2003 to 2014. No comment on why I didn't do it after that Sure. And then I'm Fair. back, <laughs> then I'm back on
3: 2000,
4: in 2020, that's sort of the, the timelines.
1: I have a few questions. Sure. Um, so 1994 was the first ceremony that you produced? 93. 93, okay, 93. so 93. And then prior to that, you had been at MTV as a producer, yeah?
4: Yeah, I was an executive producer. I, I produced some of their big events, but I was really also an executive producer over some of their smaller shows and some of their series and things like that. That's where I met Rick. Uh, from 89 to uh, very early in 93.
1: And then in 93, you t- you did the first haul. Was it televised or it was just a live
4: event? Just archival. We just filmed it for archival purposes. That was the way it was for my first two shows. 93 and 94 were never televised. 95 was the first year that was televised. Joe? Yes.
1: Who was inducted in 93?
4: 93
2: was Cream in Creedence See, Clearwater Revival, this, this is insane. Uh, Van Morrison. Uh, and th- th- that's all different um, phases of showing up and playing along. Like Cream reunited and played. The Creedence Clearwater Revival induction was very contentious and they were all there, but Fogarty didn't play with the rest of them. He played with like Bruce and Robbie Robertson and then Van Morrison didn't even show up.
4: For- wow, it, it's almost as if you produced the show. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> Yeah, we had, we had the, the world premiere of The Counting Crows uh, Wait, doing the, a what do you mean
1: the world premiere? Because like-
4: nobody knew who they were. Their record wasn't even out yet. And we had um, Adam and I think his guitar player, just the two of them do a little Van Morrison tribute because Adam's voice sounds so much like Van Morrison. That was Robbie Robertson's idea. Robbie was actually inducting Van, but even though they were buddies, he couldn't get Van to show up to his own induction. Uh, so, we, so Robbie still did uh, the speech, uh, and then introduced the Counting Crows, literally a month or two before their debut record came out. But, but, but truthfully, it was a, a pretty amazing show to start my sort of journey with the Rock and Roll of Fame, because we also had Eddie Vedder inducting The Doors, uh, which was amazing, and Eddie, of course, uh, fronted The Doors and, and played with them, and we had Eddie James uh, inducted that year, and Ruth Brown inducted that year, and uh, yeah, a producer named Milt Gabler was uh, inducted by his nephew, Billy Crystal, I think Billy Crystal might have been the first non-musical artist to do an induction.
2: Really, yes, setting the, the pace for Chris Rock, uh, David Letterman.
4: And a handful of others. Howard Stern, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah,
4: not too many. This year, Charlize Theron. So there there's, there's has, still hasn't been that. I, don't think, I, I still think we're in single digits of non-music presenters, but uh, they're creeping up there. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, Kristen, I don't know if that you will necessarily remember this, but uh, you'll remember one detail (laughs) of this. Probably not. Which is that my rock hall obsession goes back pretty deep into my childhood. And I actually still have taped from TV these VHSs of the 2002 and the 2003 ceremonies and we oh, watched them you
1: only have half of one of them right right i like tape. It was the, interrupted by the simpsons, the simpsons.
2: <laughs> i have the simpsons taped over half of it anyway though when we were watching it and we and we talked about this on this podcast there is a definite and noticeable jump in production value from 2002 to 2003 you definitely watch and you're like oh this is like this is way better someone someone cares again it's
1: that joel Gallon touch, did, joel I touch did i say that baby For real.
2: (laughs) Great to hear. That's very nice. I'm sure I
1: probably did note the production.
2: I'm sure we did. there
1: was a jump in production value, I'm sure I talked about it. Rick, when did you join the fray? Um,
2: Did
3: did
1: you get official? When did your titles, so did your titles come and go as VH1 was involved or not?
3: I don't remember because when VH1 had the show, I was the VH1 liaison. And like I said, when I went to Fuse, I just continued to work on it. So I just sort of, evolved into this position is because I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go away. I mean, I didn't, do, I didn't join the nominating committee, I think till 2008, but I was definitely involved with the show before that. So ever since it run on VH1, I've had a different role, but it's gone, it feels like it's grown uh, every year and this year being a very different year, um, it grew growing further because we kind of had
2: to book the show twice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, would I mean, I, I'm sure that to we're talk about, about to that. get into that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, because
1: well, we had talked to you, Rick, about like you know what the plans for the sh- for the induction were and like how it was all going to go. And what month? What off- month
2: is- I can't remember what month did we do that? That had to have been February. So February. that was like,
3: so,
2: like right yeah, on the last, line.
1: You were one of our very last guests before the pan before the shutdown.
3: Yeah. So and, we were, you know, we were a couple months away from. The show because it wasn't until mid March where the decision was made to move it to November. It things so were looking ago. very
1: different then. I mean, well, we had some off air conversations as well, and I was just like, "Things are going. It's going to be so cool." And then the pandemic happened, and
4: wow, just. Yeah, what we actually, a had some amazing
3: ideas, which I don't think I could talk to you about back then for the live show, and some really fun, fun things we were going to be doing, and um, which we had. Gotten ready, they were teed up and ready to go, and then we we pivoted, as they say.
2: Yeah, well, let's we might as well transition into talking about that. So, Joel, you had returned to be your big glorious return, specifically for a live broadcast. That was the big thing about the 2020 ceremony was that it was going to be completely live, straight to HBO Max. That must have been (laughs) exciting, like the the prospect of that.
4: Absolutely. I think, you know, listen, I I think that helped maybe help them sort of, uh, you know, reach out to me. You know, they didn't just call me up and say, hey, do you want to come back? They called up and said, do you want to come in and talk about, you know, before before I came in to sort of share some of my thoughts and ideas. They said really important this year. HBO would like to try this doing the show live, which is a daunting idea for anybody like myself who's done the show before and knows how hard it is to manage some of these artists to keep their speeches shorter, uh, both the presentation speeches, the acceptance speeches, the musical performances. We really never had to worry about that because it all sort of, we let people sort of do what they do, you know, gave them carte blanche almost. Um, and then we sort of tightened it up in the edit room. And yes. uh, But I was up for it and I had some good ideas, I thought, for it and presented them and they said, all right, you're coming back. And I was excited to make my big comeback to do this first ever live show of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Which was
1: a wild and risky move. I mean, we were shocked by the idea of doing a live ceremony. Yeah. It is
4: interesting because normally you do a live ceremony because you don't want it to leak out who won awards, you know, like on shows like the Grammys or the Oscars or the Golden Globes. They would never pre-tape the show and edit it because people tune in for the winners. In our case, everybody already knows the winners because we announce them months before, so the motivation to go live doesn't make total logical sense, but it was more just for the immediacy of it, the fact that we create an environment where anything can happen, some spontaneous musical moments, some spontaneous speeches, things like that. HBO wanted it not to be sort of overexposed already in the press, in the media, for weeks, because usually the show airs like three, four weeks after the taping, and, mm-hmm. and now with social media and so much, so much of that out there, it's impossible to keep anything really, uh, you know, exclusive for the actual broadcast. So I understand their logic, why it was important for them to go live.
2: And you mentioned that you came to this meeting with some ideas that they liked yes. for how to do it. What were some of those ideas?
4: Well, I could tell you one of my favorite ideas, which they didn't accept because it was too expensive, Okay, uh, was, uh, well, actually, they were okay with ha- half the idea, which was, you know, one of the mandates was how do we get the show to skew a little bit younger? You know, how do we get this to not just be our father and grandfather's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but we, let's get the kids involved too. Let's make it for every generation. So the idea would be uh, we had six inductees, so let's open with a big a big uh, six song medley with a house band. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we could say, I think we could say this, Rick. We had Weezer lined up to be our house band, and uh, and then we would have a younger artist represent each of the inductees. Uh, to perform part of one of their biggest songs, you know? We had Miley Cyrus to do a Nine Inch Nails song.
3: We had, we had uh, Billy Idol and Billy Joe Armstrong were gonna do T-Rex. We had uh, Lauren Mayberry from Churches was gonna do Depeche Mode. Right. Weezer so was, right. do like was gonna do the Doobies. Judd Apatow was gonna
1: do the Doobie. No, no. <laughs> but
3: but the, the idea was gonna be this. I think they're still working on Whitney and, and Biggie, Biggie. When, when we ended up having to pull back.
4: But what I wanted to do is not stage it on our stage. I wanted, to, I, wanted to stay, I wanted to put a stage outside the museum. So we'd really open up with a bang like, hey, here we are in Cleveland. Here's the museum, which you barely ever see on these broadcasts anyway, which looks beautiful from the outside and get a packed crowd in there and light it and get all the cameras and, and do this beautiful opening, exciting live performance before we even take you inside the public hall for the rest of the show. And they love the idea. Don't get me wrong. They didn't, it's not like they didn't like the idea, but when we put the, the numbers to it, it's, it was a very expensive proposition to do it. In fact, we started thinking, well, maybe we'll do it the day before so it's not live, but we'll roll it in like it is live. But even that really didn't bring the cost down. So we started you know, planning for it still, but literally on our stage, which we were going to have a turntable stage, which we'd have to have uh, to make the stage changes Quickly oh, yeah, that's another for thing. a
1: live show, yeah.
4: Yeah, that's the one other thing I I wanted to point out is when you when these people do live shows on the networks, they have four to five minute commercial breaks to get ready for the next segment. We don't have that on HBO, there's no commercials. Yeah. So it's gonna be doubly dangerous. You gotta roll
1: those packages. That's where yeah. the packages come yeah. in. <laughs>
4: packages are like our commercials, but but in the format of the show, it's really not like that because although we were gonna make it like that in a sense. So We'll see what happens with next year's show. We're gonna go live again.
1: That does sound exciting and good, and I don't like anything. So, uh, it's really... <laughs>
4: <laughs> you want her over.
1: <laughs> it's such a shame that the budget was... And also, you know, that... Well, the show didn't
4: happen anyway. The other, the other new idea that I had pitched that we... Well, maybe we were gonna get a few of them, but, you know, I, I think it's still an idea for the future, is to open each segment not with the film and not with the presenter, but with a whole nother artist, sort of paying tribute. Like we had this idea of the uh, for the Doobie Brothers segment to have the Dixie Chicks come on and do sort of a their version of Blackwater. We thought they'd be perfect for that, and that's sort of how you get into the segment. Like let's mm-hmm. hear a more modern interpretation by a contemporary artist. Uh, and they were they were reuniting, they were coming out with a new record, so we thought maybe the timing of that would have been good, and we. We explored doing that for other artists also, Uh, but then we ended up, uh, again, with the pandemic happened, uh, we didn't really pursue that idea either, but that was just another idea we were floating around. Just because in the past, the show is presenter, inductee. Inductee performs sometimes with the presenter. And so we were saying, okay, that's great. We, We have a nice mix of talent there, but how do we get even more? And that's why the idea of the opening number with six other artists that we wouldn't have booked, a cold open maybe to each segment with another artist we normally wouldn't book, Trying to get as many different artists from different genres of music and different that appeal to different demographics. We were trying to, you know, pack it with as much variety as possible.
2: Yeah. But what
1: about letting the bassist talk for 25 minutes? Yes, that's
4: we were addressing that by by trying to not allow any bassists to talk (laughs) on the
1: show. Okay, (laughs) the bassists are cut. Great.
4: Well, this particular year, think about this particular year. First of all, you had three of our six inductees, music inductees, were deceased.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So
4: we were going to have you know one family member obviously represent them. Nine Inch Nails, obviously everybody knows Trent Reznor is the driving force and the creative force on that show. So he was even though a lot of the other art, a lot of the other members, including bass players, would be inducted. Trent was only going to be the one to speak. Depeche Mode. We were going to have uh, the three main guys, Fletch and uh, and uh, Dave and Martin. Dave and Martin. Thank
1: you. Yeah. At some point, I do also want to talk about their delightful acceptance yeah. in the. Sure. Um, well.
4: Yeah. We'll, we'll the, get to that. In the and ceremony the, and that the,
1: was, but
4: and the Doobies, which had like nine inductees, including a, uh, you know um, the original bass player. Uh, yeah. They we do, they agreed, and we said also the same thing let's have the, the three main guys that wrote most of the music uh, and, and were the front men for most of the time, which was Tom, Pat, and Michael. And uh, and they would acknowledge the rest of the band. And the rest of the band could have been there. In fact, they would have been, were going to be there. Certainly, it was yeah. A big performance. We were definitely going to knock down the chances of tremendously long acceptance. <laughs> just-
2: right, but I also imagine Diddy was on lock for the speech for Biggie which is a, yeah. a, a huge question mark because we know That's that guy answer. likes to go long
4: well you know he does but as you saw in the uh in the version the documentary version of the show he actually went too short he I really did it was, per- it was actually perfect but I couldn't believe it because you know we had done like an outline with him he had approved it and he said he was going to wing it a little bit I fully expected him to go three four minutes and maybe we'd have to trim it a little bit and uh it was like exactly a minute that's all he gave us, but it was right, it was good. But you're right, in front of a live audience, could he have gone for 15, 20 minutes? Possibly, Yeah, Hopefully that's not. the
1: other thing, all these people getting in front of live audiences, getting that crowd juice in them. Oh boy, they, I, yeah. I'm i just like, you're gonna have another Springsteen on your hands, it's gonna go for a half an hour, <laughs> like, it's just- right. gonna...
2: I mean, literally Springsteen was on hand to induct John Landau, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, for John Landau and Irving, we didn't really make it like inductions, so to speak, because they were the non-musical inductees. We wanted Springsteen and Henley to be sort of the main people in their films, which they were. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, they both closed the films by saying, welcoming them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't really do that opening speech like we did with the other six. Do you mean
2: that even in a live ceremony, their inductions would have been relatively the same, mostly film focused? No, no, no.
4: It, no it, I, I'm sorry. In, in the live setting, yes, Springsteen and Henley would have been on stage doing the induction. Okay. And, yeah. And, and, and Springsteen was told he had five minutes, and uh, I you was have told, told him
1: he had three.
4: I was told, <laughs> I was told he would uh, he would oblige. So, but we never got that far. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Really
2: interesting to think because also it had been advertised that this ceremony was going to be three hours, right? And usually a ceremony runs close, closer to five.
4: Right. The live, the live ceremony runs closer to five. And then we edit it to three. Right. So our challenge was to how do we get the live show to three on paper, I was at like two hours and 48 minutes, so I felt like I had some pad and everything. But you now, know how Was go. there
1: gonna be like a band on hand? Was Weezer gonna play people off, you know? Like- no, I think, <laughs> I
4: think Weezer, Weezer was there just to do the opening number. Mm-hmm. We were gonna have The Roots back up, you know, Whitney, uh, Whitney tribute and a Biggie tribute. And then of course Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, and, do- and Doobie Brothers were self-contained. And T-Rex, I think, were gonna be backed up by Weezer, right? That's the other one that was gonna be backed up by Weezer, yeah. He's gonna
2: be like folded into it. the opening.
1: Like well, like, how would you cut someone
4: off?
2: You kind of can't, right?
4: I think as we got closer to the show, which we never got that close, we would have come up with some kind of plan, but that early on in March, two months before the show, we really didn't have a plan yet. I was just feeling, you know, talking to each artist and uh, going with the honor system <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was the way to go. Rick and I together would double team them and say, listen, you know, we understand you have a lot to say. But the other thing is, these days, a lot of people now, you know, want to prepare their acceptance speeches anyway. So we would have seen it ahead of time. We would have known how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Will they be capable of baby.
1: Yeah.
4: The possibility exists, but I think everybody understood it was our first year as a live telecast and... I don't think anybody wants to see a show go four or five hours, especially the ones going at the end of the night. And uh, and and even if you're going early in the show, you want to be courteous to your fellow artists. And I don't think uh, we were really worried about it, but yes. Notoriously
1: courteous out. rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, we had the
3: year before, we had made, I think, a lot of progress by limiting the number of people that could speak. And mm-hmm. they didn't the year before that, yeah, the, the Cure is just Robert Smith, and Roxy Music was just Brian Ferry. And, you know, Jeff so Leopard was Joliet. And, yeah.
4: It's not a year I produced, but I, so I can have fun with this. But also, you had Bon Jovi speak for Bon Jovi, and he spoke for how long? He's still speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whole band it, is still
2: speaking, talking yes. about their bowling balls. and.
3: Well, I, oh, actually,
4: the rest of the band did speak. They, they did have the 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 did did. That was
3: 2018.
1: And, yeah. That, they, was, they year, they be- that, that was the year was... before.
3: So yeah. I think because of that. Especially these Jersey, these Jersey guys. Yeah, these Jersey things. They Can't like to up. talk. Can't shut up.
2: Can't shut up.
1: It that's was right. the first year that I watched a ceremony. 2018,
2: 2018. I made Kristen watch.
4: Oh, oh that's yeah. That's was not a, a good introduction. Well, that's not a entree into the.
1: No, yeah. it no. was not. I it was really rough. couldn't believe because <laughs> I was not happy. The fact that, that I'm still here is very wild in many regards. It
2: set us back.
1: I guess my big question then is, so then when the pivot started coming down, all hell broke loose, what happened? Everybody was like, okay, November, you were still originally thinking it was gonna be live originally, yes. right?
4: Yes, yes, when we when we first postponed it, we thought, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate it in July.
3: We picked the date with the artist schedules. With Doobie's Nine Inch Depeche, we reached out to them to find a date that we thought they could, in that time period that they all would be available. That's how that date came about.
2: Yeah, it was an optimistic time. Yeah, it, was. it really <laughs> was. We were was.
1: all just, people were postponing their weddings and that like, you know, just no. see in three months, we thought maximum. So then you started planning the that live show. When did it change to you knew it was going to have to be virtual?
4: Well, I think around, yeah, probably in July, there was a few conversations going on, okay? In no particular order. One was do we postpone the show till next year and slide the entire class of 2020 into 2021 and then slide them in 2021 to 2022, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one conversation. Another conversation was, can we do both shows next year? Can we do the 2020 show in the spring. This
1: was Joe's Joe's dream. That I think that was been was fun. Was yeah, I mean, it would have been fun. Yeah, it would
4: have been like a like a
2: weekend of of Rock Hall. I, it would have been like oh well, 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 well that's
4: another idea. I'm saying there was two ideas. One was do we do one show in the spring and one show in the fall? Oh sure. And then another, and then another idea was like do it all in the same week. You know, Damn. like just like a total rock and roll Hall of Fame blowout kind of week. Hall
1: of Fame week in Cleveland, flight yeah. prices tripling, hotels <laughs> booked out. <laughs>
4: HBO, you know, came back and said that that's that doing two shows, whether it's in a week or even within a year, was not an option, you know, budget-wise, you know, schedule-wise, all kinds of things. They said that yeah, we can only do one show. But, you know, they still were open to us coming back to them with a new way of doing this year's show that would be pandemic-friendly, you know, and, and that would still work. And that's when I just started thinking about this, you know, very simple idea of doing this, you know, documentary approach. I mean, for me, the films have always been one of my favorite parts of the show. In fact, I used to be in, you know, heated discussions. I don't want to say heated, but definitely discussions with Jan and some of the executives at the Rock and Roll Fame about making the films longer, you know, back in the heyday of of doing the show. And they always kept pushing for them shorter, because to them, it was all about the speeches. Speeches were the stars we of the just show.
1: love it when the bass player gets up yes. and tells some off-color jokes.
4: Keep in mind, when the show started in 1986 until the year I did it in 1993, so from 86 to, to 92, even though the show's had very limited exposure and visibility, that show was all, it was all speeches, you know, start to finish mm-hmm. until the very end. The very end, Paul Shaver's band would be on stage and then unrehearsed, you know, whoever was in, in the room for that show would get up, not everybody, but some would, and they would do great jams. Some would be really great, and some wouldn't be so great, but, but they would, that would be after four hours of speeches, literally. There would be, be some packages short, but the speeches were just the stars of the show, and it wasn't until when I took over in 93 where I convinced them to let's do music throughout the show. You know what I mean? Let's not wait till the end of the night. Yeah. Let's have Cream. When Cream gets inducted, let's have Cream perform. When, same thing for Eddie James and same thing for you know, everybody else that got inducted that year. Yeah. Um,
2: it's almost like uh, you said, let's produce it for television.
4: Yeah. Even though it wasn't for TV yet, it was the precursor of like, let's pace it so people have some, you know, you give them the speeches, you give them the packages, but also give them the music. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because,
1: I mean, four hours of speeches sounds like something that that's like, that's only for the people in the room.
4: That's exactly what the show was. And I'm sure you've seen online some of the legendary speeches by, uh, you know, who was it from the Beach Boys? Was it Carl Wilson? or Mike Love. Mike Love. Mike Love, baby. You know, know, and, and of course, uh, (laughs) you know, Phil Spector. Phil Spector's had some classics. So Quincy Jones was up there and not very sober. Uh, you know, and these uh, people went on for a very long time, but it was fun for the people in the room. And uh, then we started, you know, again, producing it more, uh, not necessarily like a TV show, but just as a more pleasurable, enjoyable, well-paced event. So getting back to this year's show, the idea of doing it more as a documentary and really telling their stories from start to finish still would be, it wouldn't be like a 90-minute documentary you'd see on Netflix, but instead of a three-minute package, it would be like a 10 to 12-minute film, where we'd really, you know, you'd watch this thing and go, well, if you're a fan, you'll love it because you'll reinforce all the things you love about the artist. And if you don't know the artist that much, you'll learn a lot. And hopefully you'll be like, wow, I'm glad. I didn't realize, I didn't know that about Nine Inch Nails. I didn't know that about Biggie. We started thinking, well, what can we do to add value to that is like, let's get some of their fans. Other artists, sometimes celebrities, but mostly artists who are big fans of, of theirs and interview them and talk to them about why do you love Biggie, why do you love Nine Inch Nails? Why do you love, uh, you know, the Doobie Brothers, et cetera, Depeche Mode? Mm-hmm. That added some, some level to it, and then obviously getting the, the person to introduce the film was sort of like our version of the presenter. And my initial thought, my initial idea, which didn't happen, was we would do it just like we did this show, where we'd have a, an, somebody introduce the film who was like our presenter, and we'd do our 10 minute film. But then instead of the acceptance speech at their homes, uh, you know, more intimate acceptance speech, I, I, I imagine the acceptance speech to be sort of at a venue where they started or something mm-hmm. where the band, like the Nine Inch Nails' case, they'd be at the Agora Ballroom or someplace where they played in Cleveland. Trent would do his acceptance speech right there on the mic, and then they would just play, you know, one or two songs, even, the, even if it was an empty house. It would, be, it would have all the energy and all the grit, uh, you know, all the oomph of a Nine Inch Nails performance, and you'd get that live performance as the p- payoff of each segment But again, as we thought about it, a lot of artists were, they weren't necessarily wanting to get on a plane. They still weren't sure Mm -hmm. by November they'd want to have their crew and everybody sort of working closely together, even with masks and things like that. Plus there was an expense because now we're talking about, well, let's shoot Nine Inch Nails in Cleveland and let's shoot, you know, the tribute to uh, Whitney in LA and let's shoot this thing in the UK with Depeche Mode, New York or, or the UK. So it just became, a lot of the artists were not, sure they can commit to that. Plus there was an expense involved. So then we decided let's just do it full on documentary. You know, the Trent Reznor's, the Sissy Houston's on behalf of Whitney, the Depeche Mode guys, we would all do their acceptance speeches uh, from wherever they are. And, and that's what we did.
2: Uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about how this special came to be and the transition from a live one to a pre-filmed one. So we will be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, hey, we hope you offered water to someone who could not take the request. All right, so <laughs> let's talk about you had to delay. At first, it was just a delay. It was we're going to kick it to November. In that period from, say, March to July, were you guys still working on the show, or did, did it feel tentative because you kind of had to wait and see for all these variables to see what was going to happen?
4: Yeah, I think we had a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, discussions uh, about it. But, you know, I think my intention initially was going to be to start working on the packages anyway, like in April. Mm-hmm. March, actually end of March, April. That was my original intention, even though we knew the show was being postponed. We were already set up. I already had the producers lined up. We already had the editing, you know, facility lined up. Uh, but then I thought about it and uh, and I'm glad. I, I, I decided we just have to postpone everything because we just didn't know what shape the show would take in November. And uh, so we just sort of put everything on on hold, and and Rick and I and and the people at the Rock Girl Hall of Fame, like Joel Perisman and John Sykes and HBO, we just kept in touch and kept talking about it. But uh, you know, our hope was still that the uh, pandemic would get under control, and and by July, you know, at the latest August, we'd have a we, we would know for sure that uh, we could do our show in November. But as it got closer and closer to that period of time, it got less and less likely instead of more
2: and more likely. hmm And you had booked beyond just the inducted artist, we had talked about Weezer being involved in a number of artists who had been locked into the uh, May date. So yes. now are you talking to them about November? Or, or is that similarly? You're just kind of tentative?
4: No, no, no. We we, you know, Rick can speak to this more, but we we immediately you know, Rick reached out to all of them and gave them the new date because our intention was we're gonna do a live show in November.
3: Yeah, I mean, once we knew the date, we tried and you know, some of the some of the artists, like for instance, Weezer both with Weezer and with uh Billy Joe, Weezer Green Day and Fallout Boy had this had massive this big, big tour of the summer that got canceled. They were still scheduled to be in Australia in November. So when I first reached out, they technically weren't available because they were gonna be in Australia at the time of the show, but then you know, maybe a month later, I got the call saying, hey, we are available now because Australia is not happening. But at that point, it started to become... Nothing's apparently happening. Either.
1: Yeah, nothing's not happening. happening
3: either. So everybody was trying to make it work and wanted to still be uh, still be part of it. But it, as Joel said, as time went on, it just was becoming less likely instead of feeling mm-hmm. more likely. Uh,
2: and also the what you kind of revealed about, especially with that opening number, a lot of the artists that you mentioned wound up in the film special that aired. So I'm curious, I would like to go through each artist and I understand some of it may not have been booked. Maybe you just don't remember. But just so, just cause I'm a completist and I'm overly this thorough. This is
1: just like such a Joe thing to be like, I would like to go one by one through go. all of the.
2: Go for it, go for it. Uh, all right, so we, you talked about the opening would probably fold into the kind of T-Rex performance if I'm correct there, with Weezer. Well, I mean,
4: the opening yeah, the opening uh, medley of all of the artists you know, representing you know, um, one song each, yeah, it was going to open the show, and then we were going to, our first presentation was then going to be T-Rex. The medley would have closed with, a t- with T-Rex,
3: too.
2: That's and, right. And you would not have probably gone back to do more T-Rex songs with Weezer, or would you have?
4: Yes, we were going to do one more T-Rex. We were going to close the medley with T-Rex, then we were going to go to the T-Rex film,
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, or we were going to go to Billy Idol. I don't even remember anymore. Billy Idol was the presenter, and he would have done his talk, but the film probably would have been first because we wanted to separate the music. So we would have gone to the T-Rex film, and then uh, Billy Idol uh, was going to do the speech to induct T-Rex. And then uh, T-Rex, you know, I think you know whether or not Roland was going to do the acceptance speech or not, I, I don't think we had... 100% confirm that and then we would have followed that up with Billy Idol joining Billy Joe Armstrong with Weezer doing we were talking
3: about i think doing Jeepster maybe getting jeepster. a female artist to get a female artist to join right. in as well just mm-hmm. always look for opportunities to bring more
4: artists yeah cuz we would have done we would have done the so jeepster we felt like was the second biggest song in the states and so we thought that would have been the right song to do
2: okay and then let's go to let's say, the Doobie Brothers, you talked about maybe having the Dixie Chicks, although I know there had the been a... The Chicks. The Chicks, excuse me. Yeah, uh, the, Chicks. the artist formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. And I know they had a conflict with the May date because they had an album release, so that was not... But then maybe that was back on the table for November. Well,
4: we, we, never, we definitely would have gone back to them if the show happened live, but we definitely, had, we definitely knew they couldn't do it in May. Mm-hmm. You know, they, were, they, they were just not available to do it. Uh, so we, we actually explored other artists. I don't want to name all the people that couldn't do it. Nah, do it. Um, oh. <laughs> or, or, or didn't want to do it or yeah. whatever. But definitely we had some other ideas that we went after. And uh, I, I don't think, I think if the show was pulled off in November live, it's possible we wouldn't have done that idea. But I still like the idea. I think we would have found some. We would have found somebody, yeah. It was a good idea.
2: And in terms of the speech, do you think potentially Luke Bryan or Ted, you yes. gotten that far? Yeah,
4: Rick okay. already had him confirmed. Yeah, Luke
3: was, Luke was already set to induct, so okay. Luke's role didn't really change, except for doing it remotely.
2: Uh, let's move on to Depeche Mode. Uh, we're, again, were we thinking, uh, uh, for each of these artists, there's a, some sort of cold open type thing?
4: That was the idea, but we never got far, I don't think we ever got close to uh, uh, somebody for Depeche Mode, did we? I don't think we did. Valley
1: Churches? Well,
4: well she, she would, would have been in the opening. Uh, oh. oh, in Martin the opening. We going to do the opening.
3: Yeah. We get an idea about a certain big female artist to come do something very stripped down. Yeah. But she also had a conflict too just yeah. Oh,
1: St. Vincent
4: with, with, maybe. No, St. Vincent St. Vincent, Vincent was booked to do Nine Inch Nails, not to get ahead of ourselves. But she was oh, going to be the presenter. Yeah. Nine Inch Nails. So
1: That would have passion been mode, so we cool. we
4: had we had uh we were in discussions with Charlize to be the presenter, but she wasn't 100% confirmed yet when the show got postponed in in May. But yeah,
3: was, was a challenge. Was getting really, to Cleveland can be a challenge for some people.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, mentally.
4: <laughs> and, and Charlize, was, <laughs> Charlize was someone we knew was a big fan, and she was definitely interested. We just hadn't 100% confirmed her. Uh,
2: but they seemed like they were very excited. Joe really playing
1: fantasy rock hall right now. And I love it.
2: This is, And I think, I think our listeners will, will really enjoy it as oh, well. Oh, definitely. Uh, well, so, I
1: mean, I'm like, oh, man, what could have been?
2: You yeah. know? So you mentioned uh, St. Vincent was going to be, was going to present the induction for Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Very cool. Uh, in addition to maybe a performance?
4: Well, Nine Inch Nails was definitely going to do, do They were like three songs. Been. Whether or not St. Vincent would have joined on one song, that was still a discussion that we usually get into much closer. No pun intended. Closer, got it.
3: I'm just here to Um, to monitor the conversation and throw those little things in. uh,
1: Rick, you're doing great and I love it. I really just anytime you put you throw a little pun in there, oh, I love it.
4: Whitney? Yeah, Whitney, we had really a great lineup of people. We um we didn't we didn't have our presenter fully confirmed. Well, Alicia couldn't do it. Alicia had a conflict. Right. Alicia had a conflict, but we didn't go back to her for November yet. Right. We, had, we were waiting to see. She wanted to do it, but couldn't do it in May, so I'm pretty sure she would have done it in November. But we did have 100% confirmed to perform. We had Jennifer Hudson, we had Ariana Grande, and we had her, all ready to do tributes to Whitney. We were going to do a three-song tribute. Oh, that's incredible. Yep, and the Roots would have been the band.
2: Yeah, that oh, sounds wow. great. And then uh, Notorious B.I.G.?
4: Towards B.I.G., we had Puffy, as you know, to present, uh, and we knew we had the roots as a band, but we did not necessarily have our artists confirmed. You know, obviously, we were trying to get Jay-Z, but Mm -hmm. uh, we we knew that was going to be a a long shot, but we were trying, and uh, I don't think we ever got a full-on pass, but we certainly never got a full-on yes. So, yeah,
2: a
1: full on tickets are booked but, to But Cleveland. it was still
4: two months before the show. So, which is, you know, a ton of time that it, mm-hmm. we could have made it happen maybe, but then the show got postponed.
1: It's so hard about it not being yeah. in New York for that. Like that, that yeah. in particular, the Biggie induction and the Jay-Z. I
4: also induction. wonder, as I think about it now, maybe a younger rap artist would have done it, but a, a, tri- but a, a, a legendary artist like Jay-Z, a, a, a very successful big time rap artist, Something tells me, it's one thing when you cover a song, but when you cover somebody's rap and their, their unique style and delivery and things like that, even, I don't think you see that a lot on TV. You know, you don't see many people doing covers of rap songs. We've seen uh, it at the Rock Hall a few times. Yeah. Yes, you have, but, mm-hmm. it, but I, I, don't, I don't know. varying degrees of success. <laughs> I was about to say, yes, I know we had um, a little tribute to the Beastie Boys many, many years ago when I did it.
1: Don't remind me, Joel. I have a hard time forgiving you for some of that. We'll move on.
2: (laughs) I'm not not disagreeing. Okay. Uh, Well,
1: the kid rock of it all.
2: You said you weren't going to get into it, Kristen. So we're not going to get into it. I'm
1: (laughs) getting mad.
2: At any rate, what it sounds like is there were a number of people that were not available that then suddenly became available when you pivoted to making the special this way. Like so Alicia Keys, now you can have involved. I have to imagine you tried to get Ringo for T-Rex, but now he can be involved. So there's, there's a silver yeah. lining to that. With
4: well, I mean, there is, because we're going to them, bringing one camera to their house, to their garage, to their backyard, you know, whatever. It's very easy and very convenient for them to do it, they don't have, as Rick said, they don't have to get on a plane and go to Cleveland.
3: And it also allowed us to put a lot, more, bring a lot more artists to the to the marquee, mm-hmm. because you have, I mean, depending on the film, there some there was upwards of six or seven different artists added in. And so when you look at the list of talent on the show, it's way greater than anything we've ever had you just never had those those opportunities for people like that before.
2: When you were so, you were in a sense dispatching teams to go film uh, these people in their homes? Is is that a a correct way to...
4: The correct way is like I I had a producer who was in charge of each film. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, in, in many cases, I would be the one to do the interview and to oversee the shoot of the interviews that went along with it. And they would then take those interviews and then, you know, with our research team, which we had a big research team, go through the archives and then sort of tell the story and piece it together in the edit. Mm-hmm. A lot of my producers are also editors, and this, and the handful that aren't, we found really great editors for them to work with. But yes, we had eight different producers, actually seven different producers doing uh, the films, and I took on Biggie. You right. know, because, it, truthfully, uh, I took on Biggie because my first choice, who originally said he could do it, couldn't do it. And, and you know, and I was so uh, immersed in, in it at that moment, and we found a great editor. So I sort of took ownership of that one. Uh, and, and, and again, for me, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience in the sense that I didn't really know a lot about Biggie other than, you know, Juicy and a couple of his big songs that everybody knew. But I didn't really, you know, know the whole story. So I, it was a great experience for me because I was learning as I went, you know? Well, Joel, yeah.
1: I will tell you that is, was my favorite package. Of, of the mom, of the docs. We, we, when we talked about it on the episode, I really loved all of the kind of archival footage of him as being so young. The stuff of him, you know, just like in a battle on the street and- He's just 12. Kind of like doing like <laughs> slam poetry essentially, like just too straight to camera. I mean, like there was some really great footage in that thing yeah. and it told a complete story about him it just like really reminded you of what a legend he was you know
4: interesting it's so great that you say that thank you and interesting enough we had to make a last second edit in that film because we originally had uh, a little bit of the story of Biggie and Tupac in there Um, but then we decided that uh, for a few reasons that we want to keep it on Biggie and on his music we didn't want to used the Tupac story, which was a big part of his story, uh, to sort of take away, you know, this momentous moment of him being inducted into the Hall of Fame for his music and his contribution to hip-hop. Literally, there was a cut that was pretty much locked that had a good minute, minute 30, on the story of, you know, Tupac first getting shot, and then the, the beef he had with Biggie, and Biggie saying, you know, it wasn't, you know, I had nothing to do with it, and then, of course, Tupac got shot, and then, Biggie had to respond to that. I mean, then Tupac got killed. So we had that, we had a good 90 seconds of the film. Um, so the film yeah, actually I'm... was longer. So when we cut that, the film was actually a little too short and we went back and beefed up a couple of the other areas. But, and I was worried about that. I was worried that people would miss that section, but apparently nobody missed it.
1: No, we were very glad to not actually ha- I was really glad to not have it focused too much actually on the circumstances of his death and kind of like, his end of life stuff. I thought right. it really, I think you have to touch upon the tragic circumstances sure. of his death, but I'm glad that minute and a half got caught. I think that- yeah, I think that was wise. Recall.
2: That was a wise um, move uh, to especially highlight- Especially
1: considering What you're celebrating. Yeah. we really also got the story of him coming up his really hard youth and then his selling drugs his finding music his first album being so much about like trying to break in and then the second album being so much about now that I've got it you know everybody's coming for me and I don't know I thought it was a very good package I really liked it I
4: love it I love that you got everything that our goal was to accomplish so thank you
1: now
2: I have some thoughts on some other, one, on other ones. <laughs>
4: well, I, I I am curious about. Uh, I noticed you
2: got Morgan Neville for yes. the Nine Inch Nails package, and you know that's a, a filmmaker you know who has won an Academy Award, and wow. uh, I'm curious also the mechanism for that documentary was this interview, and I'm curious how involved was Trent in his own package, and was that interview specifically created? Was that a Morgan idea? Do you have any thoughts? I know you didn't produce that one specifically.
4: Well, well, yeah, I was involved with it, but yes, it was it was Morgan and Trent. I, I, first of all, Trent is the one that had the relationship with Morgan and reached out to Morgan. I, I mean, either Trent or Trent's managers on behalf of Trent, you know, they reached out to Morgan, and and luckily Morgan was available and wanted to do it. So that's that's how that happened. And yes, I, I although I'm not privy to the conversations, I'm quite sure that Morgan and Trent talked about the approach creatively ahead of time Mm -hmm. Um, and whether or not the interview with Trent was Trent's idea or Morgan's idea or was a collaboration, I can't say for sure, but it was definitely the two of them were obviously the driving force and Trent was definitely involved. Uh, You know, all the artists, by the way, were involved in their films, some more than others, and Trent probably more than all of them. You know what I mean? He really uh, took an interest in, in making sure that the story was presented a certain way. And uh, and I thought it worked really well.
2: When you are sending out, you know, your your production teams to interview the artists, it's you did a really good job. I think with you, you lit everyone great. Like it doesn't look cheap the way that you know a lot of the pandemic content right.
4: has. Yeah, uh, we didn't do it. On, we didn't do it on iPhones. We actually had cameras. We had our camera crews all tested ahead of time, mm-hmm. and wearing wearing masks, and we did. We followed all the protocols.
2: Yeah, and it it. it comes across on screen and uh thanks.
3: (laughs) Joel actually did the interviews via Zoom.
2: That was going to be my question.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you were like on an iPad or?
4: Yeah I was on my computer just like right now and my I you know I had pretty much three DPs I was using you know obviously there's a few extra ones but one in LA one in New York one in Nashville and uh and we have uh, a device I forgot what it's called that they would hook up the cameras and somehow through the Zoom like we're doing right now I was able to see a lot of these interviews were shot with two cameras, so I'd see both cameras, I hear everything great, and, uh, and then I would ask the questions. And they would, see, they would, they would sort of put me uh, on an iPad or, or a laptop on a stand, so when you see their eyeline, it's almost like I'm there. Mm-hmm. They're talking to me, but they're really just talking to my face this on computer.
1: It's like the Errol Morris in Terratron, if anybody <laughs> knows what I'm talking about yes, at all. Yes, you do.
2: Uh, and with, you mentioned you had you know, Nashville, Los Angeles, New York. Were Depeche Mode the only people who were not kind of covered by that spread? They're clearly talking. I was curious about the setup to have them talk to each other. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, well,
4: in the actual body of the film, obviously, we filmed a lot of the people like Billy Gibbons mm-hmm. in L.A. And, and Lauren in L.A. and um, Wynn, was in, Wynn Butler was in New Orleans. You know, when Butler was in New Orleans, we had to find a DP there. And so we were, for those films then, of course, during the film, any bites from uh, Dave, Martin, or Fletch were archival. We mm-hmm. didn't do any new interviews. We, probably, we didn't do new interviews really with anybody, except right. for really Kent and, and Trent, you just really heard his voice. Yeah. As far as, as, far as the artists that are being inducted, because we knew we were going to see them as, uh, during their yeah. My,
2: my eye so definitely Mo- detected a lot of behind the music footage.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, we had to use that, but a lot of it was good.
2: No, it's good. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's unfortunately, I think it's... Yeah,
1: not everybody, like, remembers everything that ever happened on a Behind the Music, and so for many people, it was just, like, a nice reminder of something they had maybe forgotten. For, I would say, the average person, you might say that that was the case. Depending on your Um,
2: definition. But
4: to answer your question about Depeche Mode, that was their idea. The band... You know, originally, like, I did, you know, you saw how we did the Doobie Brothers, which was more separate. You know, we did, we
2: mm-hmm. shot
4: Tom, we shot Pat, we saw, shot Michael. But these guys, the three guys, they wanted to have some fun. They wanted to try to do it together. So we figured out how to do this sort of enhanced Zoom feed that we were able to uh, somehow pull off. Two of the three guys are not mo- the most technically proficient, so we had to really walk them through how to make this work, and it worked.
1: I know which one. <laughs> uh, it was that was another team now we're only ta- i'm not i haven't even said my criticisms yeah. it was a highlight That's It another was part infectious. that i loved
3: yeah
2: they,
1: they because it was very spontaneous yeah. feeling because they were all talking to each other they were clearly having a good time they clearly did not do multiple takes they That's you correct. know i just like that it was all kept in because yeah. it actually had a bit of the spirit of the live show in yeah. a way because they're clearly all friends they like to give each other shit. They're getting on in years and they like to rib each other about it. Like he's reading from the thing. He's <laughs> in the weird backdrop and like they're interrupting each other. It's very cute. It was very endearing. I was right. like, I'm so glad they didn't polish this at all. I yeah. And it also was one of the parts about the show that I think is like a time capsule. Like we're going to look back if we make it through all of this, we're gonna look back and be like, oh, that is so 2020 yeah. that these three guys are in a little triple Zoom screen talking to each other. Like, the, yeah. I really liked that part a lot.
3: Good. It was very yeah. well done. <laughs> I mean, that was LA, New York and London all. You know, they were, they were, those guys were all spread out.
2: Oh, wow. It was
1: so cute. Yeah. They seemed like they were... I was like, why aren't they all in a room together? Like, these guys are That's a pod. That's the reason why they
4: couldn't be. As yeah. Brick pointed out, they're all too far away. I actually did trim some of it out because it was too long, but, uh, but I, we left all the best stuff in.
1: Now, if Go you ahead. cut all of the non-performer uh, inductions, I would not be angry. I would be very happy. I never need to see another package about somebody who made a bunch of money in the music industry and how they did it. I don't care. I'm sorry, um,
4: Irving Azoff and John Landau.
1: I am es- yes. especially talking about that. The, you know. Well, look,
4: they, uh, they contribute in a different way. And obviously from from the film, we're hoping that people would see why they're being inducted to the Hall of Fame and why they're important parts of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, as far as they're not musicians, uh, but as Don Henley says, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that the Hall of Fame inducted someone who couldn't play or, or an instrument or sing. Yeah. But so it was a great it, opening line.
1: I already had, I was already annoyed by them getting in because I was just like, this is not what we literally, this is not what we need. It's also this very much. My,
2: It's a pat on the back, given their connection to the hall. But also, this is no criticism of you guys, because you don't get to choose who you have to cover. And also,
1: I thought that their packages, I just was like, oh, this is really telling me more that Irving Azoff is an asshole. (laughs) And you can tell, and, uh, you know... That's, I guess, his thing.
4: Um, and- <laughs> I, I look at him more as a chemo if he was a badass than an asshole, but okay. Sure. That's okay. The guy who yeah, fights, for, he's one- fights very hard for his
3: artists, and he's actually done a lot of, you know, you don't want to be on his bad side, but he's yeah. done a lot of good. Yeah. One person's right.
1: badass is another person's asshole. I mean, I get that. You know, he may be an asshole, but he's my asshole. I definitely feel yeah. that from a lot of his artists, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. But I'm also like, do we need to be celebrating that? Mm, to me, no. Well, normally,
4: normally, in a normal year, which there never really is, there's usually only one of those type of Ahmed Erdogan uh, recipients. But this year, two got in. So, uh, we we got we in.
1: Got in. Who voted on that? Was that like a big <laughs> It's almost like there was or... no
2: real hmm. voting process. Oh, that, that's got a
4: question in. for Rick I, I can't answer
2: that. <laughs> Rick, <in>. Rick's <laughs> lips seem very tight. <laughs>
4: well, I mean, I I, I, I,
3: I I think that, you know, however they got are I, I actually, and I'm all seriousness, feel like they're both very deserving, much like... Yeah. If it's the baseball hall of fame, you know, owners and managers have gotten in, it's not just the players and they both contribute. If if you're gonna recognize people that aren't musicians, they are they are very that are from the business side, they're they've contributed, and are both very worthy. And there's plenty, there's plenty of others too that should be considered in the same way.
1: It's just a sticking point for me. Sticking point
2: for you. For the record, I have no major qualms with it for either of these two very powerful people. I, I
4: actually enjoyed both.
1: All right, Joe. Joe's still trying to get on the nomcom. He's trying to get a ballot over here. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, think Ir, I
4: think. Irving's was funny. You had Joe yes. Walsh being funny. at Don Henley being funny.
2: Yeah, oh, Joe Walsh have- is always a welcome addition. Oh, to yeah. Uh, this is Ooh, also we should ask so about that. On-
4: that was new footage, right, of Joe Walsh? Actually not. It was, uh, we found that footage. Uh, he had done a, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Irving had done some kind of conference or something. He was being honored. It wasn't for television, obviously. It was just uh, yeah. something that they had uh, in their own internal archives. <laughs> and so it was brought to my attention. It, was, it wasn't it was recorded that long ago, only a couple of years ago. Uh, and this stuff was just perfect. So I sent it to John Bendis, who was the guy that produced the film for Irving. And he, of course, wanted to use it. So it sort of appears like Walsh did it just for us, but Walsh had actually already done. It. So secrets out
2: yeah i mean it it, the way he's talking it's like oh this is an induction but the way it looks you're like what is happening here
4: (laughs) well he was outside which a lot of people for the pandemic like to be outside yeah Yeah. so that made sense but uh yeah he yeah he it was some other thing that irving was being honored for maybe a music cares thing or something like that that wasn't that long ago that it just fit perfectly speaking of
2: parts of the ceremony uh, parts of the induction that maybe have questionable relevance Uh, Was there ever any thought of putting in this very strange singles category into this induction? So this is something that has, Joel, uh, you know, it happened while you were gone. I like to believe if you had still been around, the singles category would have been snuffed. But i looked on the website i didn't even tell you this Kristen. they this did not
1: what i thought you were going to talk about by the way well i'm always
2: I i'm always going off about the singles about category the
1: stupid singles category they it's did gone. we they know in... it's gone
2: Kristen, they inducted what? they inducted some singles this year and then just put it on the website
1: no and...
4: yes they did no. right no I think they did right. Time is on my yeah, side. I don't even know if they did that.
2: Yeah, they did in like "Shotgun" by Junior Walker. Yeah, uh,
4: those are the ones. Yeah, they were. There was going to be five songs inducted if we had the show live in May or live in November. I could not uh, talk them out of it. I did, <laughs> I did. I did have some discussions about which songs they were and why and this and that, but we were going to try to minimize it and make it as uh, as tightly produced as possible, but. It was never a discussion to have that included in this show. Thankfully, I didn't have to push back on it because it never really came out. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. it's just like a nothing thing that Lil Steven has decided is like he just puts five songs in every year, no problem. Well, no, no problem. there's more no to discussion. it.
4: There's more to it. He wants to, he wants to, he's trying to honor the artists that made those songs that never don't have the body of work that will ever get him into the Hall of Fame, but they have
1: like the Isley Brothers, or like
4: Proko Harum, who, who <laughs> got into "A Wider Shade of Pale. But maybe they won't get in for the other songs they did, or something. You
1: know, we love the idea of the singles category. This is so wild that I have a stupid. Yeah, go off, go off, Kristen. Very (sighs) annoying.
2: But the 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 big sticking point
1: of the singles category. But Joe,
2: they they inducted "Twist and Shout" by the Isley Brothers, and so it's like, well, there goes the premise. If it's supposed to be artists that aren't inducted, then you put an Isley Brothers. Okay. Well, then at that point, and then it also doesn't seem that
4: he's really... Oh, well, why, why does that get rid of the premise? The Isley Brothers are not in, are they? Yes, they are. Yes. <laughs> they got in a long time ago. Oh, then that's the premise is completely gone then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. They, did they induct the Beatles version or they inducted the, the Isley exactly. Brothers version? The, the original version. Yeah. yeah. Probably maybe, because they changed, maybe they changed the premise. Was that the first year? Was that year. It was the second year. This
1: was the second year. Well, then I'm, the I'm, dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded.
4: I'm dumbfounded because that's what they told
3: me. Exactly. So it kind of just seems that that concern was raised. But
2: um, yeah, (laughs)
3: preaching to the converted
2: (laughs) yeah I just it just also feels a little unilateral in terms of little Stephen's involvement and like maybe if you included more people who had a consensus and there was a little bit more of a a focus versus just what little Stephen wants to kind of do why why
4: not put put, uh, 10 or 15 songs on the ballot like you put 10 or 15 artists on the ballot and then pick the top 5 songs by the committee Joel and I riffed on other
3: songs that we felt Oh, sure. We did an oh, episode that was just a-, a
2: draft where we drafted what we thought would be good, and then almost none of them have been inducted. Right. I also think it would be nice if you could actually invite the artists who get inducted, which
4: it seems well, like they're- you know, something depending on which songs get in, we probably would consider that, but you know. A lot of times we're talking about artists that are deceased or or super old that are retired Mm -hmm. but if there are thriving artists that are still playing it would be cool to have them perform
2: here's my pitch is that you do a separate almost like creative arts emmys on a separate night (laughs) just of the singles you invite some of the artists maybe you have a
1: non-performers i think i mean that's maybe but non-performers but you
2: You do it in Cleveland, you have like, and it's for charity, and it's like a fun event where you can invite some of these artists, if they're still touring, you can invite like maybe some great cover bands or whatever, and you just, you have a little bit of a night, maybe local artists, and do it in Cleveland always, and then you do all the singles on one night, and then you, like you do with the Emmys, you edit like a 30, 45 second recap of what had happened, so you don't have to waste too much time on it. And you could take the time to actually honor the songs, play them, and then maybe have the artists there as well. That's my pitch. I know you guys aren't necessarily involved or making those. Oh,
4: no, no, listen, we're, we're involved and, and certainly we, we could uh, consider it. I, I just don't think we'll ever, we, we would never want to do like cover bands or something like that would have to be real established artists, you know, and, and also I don't think it has to be in Cleveland. It should be in the city that the show's in. So if the show's in New York, then the pre-ceremony should also be in New York, you know, if, it, if, it, if we're going to tie them all together, yeah, you know what I mean? But since the show every other year seems to be in Cleveland, most years it will be in Cleveland, and uh, maybe there'll be a time in the future the show will be in L.A. again. But uh, we shall see. But listen, I think, I think it needs to be rethought and rediscussed because, like I said, I, I really was just scratching the surface of how we were going to present it when the show got postponed. So we'll see what happens. But so, duly noted. Yes. Yeah. What songs those.
1: got in this year? Then I'm hearing what what it was Shotgun by started?
4: Junior
2: Walker in the All Stars. It was right. um was the original r-
4: the original version of Time Is On My Side, the Rolling Stones version, but the original woman that sang it, it's slipping my mind. Yeah. Who that Ir-
2: is. Irma Thomas is that her name? Yes,
4: that is correct. Yes. Irma Thomas. Uh, that was
2: another song. Wild Thing uh, by the Trogs.
1: which why didn't
2: (laughs) anyway what
1: that that's like such a slam dunk for the singles category
4: (laughs) yeah
2: we are we are two years running without the the alleged singles category even making it to the broadcast so does it exist anyway uh my uh, my other pitch is maybe next year for the opening invite one of the artists who didn't get to perform at 2020 maybe have Nine Inch Nails Rick, open Rick, the ceremony. Rick and,
4: I, Rick and I have talked about that uh, numerous times and we've talked about it with the board and we haven't talked about it recently that, because you know, it was be- even before we knew exactly how this documentary version of the show would turn out and before we knew that people would you know, respond to it as favorably as they have, um, we did talk about, even though next year is, is gonna be the year for the 2021 inductees, it would be cool to invite at least the three artists that are -hmm. are still with us, you know, Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, and the Doobie Brothers, to have a moment, you know, on our stage uh, and let them perform live. We don't have to, we're not gonna present them with awards again, we're not gonna do a speech again, we're Mm -hmm. not gonna do a film again, but somehow figure out a way to organically include them in the show, especially if we go to this bigger venue in Cleveland, to know that in in addition to next year's inductees, that we're also gonna have Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, and Doobie Brothers do live performances, that would be...
1: Together, they all cover Closer. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. all three of those bands together, yes. as a mashup group, doing Closer, into Listen to the Music.
2: That, um, would, that would be a nice, meaningful thing. But
1: I, yes,
4: Here's I the thing, we definitely will bring it up. I don't know if we'll do it, but we'll bring it up. And, and, and also, we don't know for sure if the bands will want to do it because by next October, they're going to maybe think it's uncomfortable, it might be awkward for them. You know, on a night where six other artists are being inducted, why are they performing? But maybe they won't well, do a lot and more. they've been living
1: the high life already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a whole year.
4: Yeah, uh, I don't know. If will they want to go to Cleveland? I mean, it depends on where they're at with sure. their, in their heads and their tour. Is there, will there be mm-hmm. touring next fall? We just don't know what's gonna be next fall. Hopefully everything will be fine.
2: Yeah, speaking of fall, the induction is now a November event. Uh, this year it was November seventh, and I know you talked about trying to align those bands touring schedules to see that they were available at any point did you guys
4: think about the <laughs> presidential election? No, I mean we did after the after the date was locked. We started thinking about it, but <laughs> when
1: it came out, I was like, "Wow, that is very close to the day."
4: Yeah, but it was but it was four days after, and who knew that? Uh, who could have predicted that? We still won't know who the president of the United States is. I mean, we know, Man. but almost to
2: the hour, it was perfectly fucked up because <laughs> Biden and Harris were scheduled to give their speeches like I think the exact yeah, same car. hour that exact it was. Really, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, Eastern. <laughs>
2: oh was, man so it's just
1: i texted i texted joe that morning i said hey joe who cares about the rock hall?
2: good thing it wasn't a live show
1: it's like right yeah, yeah. oh my god truly
2: i mean I, it's really remarkable that there would be an induction ceremony that would come out and me number one super fan would not watch it immediately <laughs> something really massive has to like, be happening
1: it sounds like you guys say that it's been doing well and you've gotten a really positive response to it. It's
3: extremely yes, across the across the board. People love the love the format and people are just still discovering it. So I think because of again, because it's on HBO and HBO Max, you can watch it anytime. And the, the reviews were really positive afterwards. I mean, I got a bunch of I got some like the next day, I got some emails, but I've gotten a lot more in the last you frankly this week than I got last week about it. So people are hearing about it, hearing the buzz, going and watching it. And I think it, from a personal experience, for me it, it holds up much better over watching multiple times. I've seen it now,
2: mm-hmm.
3: start to finish, half a dozen times at least. And I can't say it, the other the live show I ever watched that many times start to. I'm not Joe. I would not. I could not do that. <laughs> but you know, after once or twice, I was good. Or I start fast forwarding through certain parts that Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think there's a dead spot for me. I think Joel did an amazing job uh, and his team of producers. And uh, there's great stories. Each of these artists has a great story and they were told really well in 10 to 11 minutes, you have a lot better chance to tell a story than two to three minutes.
2: Absolutely, and I found going back to the to watching it and watching different parts, it is very easily. I mean, the induction ceremonies have always kind of been like this to some extent. But to just you know a la carte watch the different parts is is very enjoyable. Even for me, maybe even more enjoyable because you can just you can go in and get like your know, ten or twelve minutes of Depeche Mode, and it's not like you've just been watching a bunch in a row. Uh, I, it's uh, and also to be on HBO Max. You know, it's almost like it's on Netflix now. It's not like you have to have an HBO account. It's now on a streaming service, and I think that gets a lot of eyeballs to it. I'm sure of it. Rick, uh, any news on when you guys are going to be meeting up next?
3: Um, Early in the new year.
2: Sure. It might have to be virtual. Yeah.
3: Um, I'm assuming that's going to be the case. I don't see it. All uh, getting thirty people around a around a table in a in a room together. So, in a, Especially in a park when outside, everybody <laughs> takes one yeah. bite
1: of a giant sandwich. That's not very pandemic friendly. I hope
3: they actually send sandwiches to everybody. Plates the, uh, or something, you know, because those are good, good
2: sandwiches. It's part of the process.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're it's going to be uh, probably in um, like January, January, February, yeah, maybe inauguration day.
2: There you go. Keep it presidential. That's what the rockall is all about now, I guess. <laughs>
1: They'll release it at the exact same, they'll, they'll have the meeting at the exact same time that the swearing-in is happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Perfect. It, it would only be appropriate. Well, you guys did a great job with the induction special. Uh, congrats to you both. I hope, it's weird to say this, but I hope you never have to do it again this way. I think with your hands tied, you pulled something off that was really great uh, and extremely rewatchable. Uh, but let's hope we can get back to the induction ceremonies as we know them, but now with a new, with a new live Joel Gallen twist.
4: Uh, yeah, Joel's
1: back. Joel is safe. back. All right. Hey, listen, I don't
4: have a, I don't have a contract for next year yet. But if they want me back, I'll be back. All Again. right, I'll
1: go in there. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll ruffle some feathers. I'll, I'll shake, I'll shake some trees. Well, we're gonna make it happen.
4: Uh, I, think it, I think it's, I think it's Halloween next year, right, Rick, or the day before Halloween. Yes, I think that's the plan. It's October 30th is when we're going to shoot it. It's still up in the air if we're going to do it live or taped. Uh, but I'm sure there'll be a big uh, push from HBO to do it live.
2: Uh, well, thank you guys again for doing the show. I don't know if you guys have anything you would like to plug that you've got coming out. Uh, usually we talk to comedian friends of mine <laughs> who have dates and stuff. But uh, Joel, you got anything coming up that you want to plug? Um, not really. I mean, I have some things coming up,
4: but I don't, I don't need to plug them. Rick and I are going to go on tour and do a speaking tour. Oh, perfect. Just to do, this is inspired by this show. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to to just talk about the behind the scenes of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: And I'll be the the moderator.
4: Yes, you'll be the moderator.
2: Yes. Perfect. And well, I'll be the
1: heckler. <laughs>
2: yeah, but there we've got it all.
1: <laughs> now all yeah.
2: Now all we need itself. is for live events to be a reality again.
3: I just my plug would be to get people to go if you haven't watched the ceremony, go watch the ceremony. Um, and mm-hmm. another plug, there's another another documentary that I was involved in. It's near and dear to me, which is called "I Want My MTV." Uh, yes, which is the story of the first years of mtv and about the first 10 years and how it all started that premiered on a and e back in uh september which you can i think if you look really hard you can find it on uh on vod i think it's on itunes and fandango and some other things but it's another uh if if you're if you're searching for nostalgia and some great music history it's a really good film about uh mtv
2: and its impact on culture i bet if you're a fan of this show that you would enjoy that documentary all right well uh if you want to reach out to us you can email us rockhallpod at gmail.com if you want kristen to see that you need to designate that somewhere in your message you can follow us on twitter and instagram at rockhallpod subscribe to us on apple podcasts rate and review us five stars only no reason for doing a review that's not five stars that would be cruel thank you to mike lloyd for the logo thank you to yusu kim for the music and thank you to pantheon podcast for hosting us i'm joe quazala
1: I'm Kristen Studdard,
2: and who cares
1: about the Rock
0: Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.